Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to the Honest Bicycle Program's Tour de France Spectacular Coverage brought to you by Michelin Bicycle. That's right. We have a sponsorship. And so uh, we didn't know if we were going to do something special for the Tour this year. Uh, but hey, you know, we like the Tour de France. Um, we like you, our listeners. So here we are. I'm Greg, coming to you from Boston. And I'm Francis, coming to you from West Hampton. And this is Matteo in Minneapolis for another few days. <laughs> yes, just a, just a little bit longer. When next when next we record a Tour de France uh, spectacular special, uh, you're going to be coming to us from somewhere else. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Man, I, I'm always so thrown off. I don't know, for some reason, like, Philadelphia seems like it should be its own state. <laughs> like it, like, there are a lot of good. I mean, you know, <laughs> New York City is its own state, and yeah, right? I can't really think of that many other good cities. But Philadelphia, you know. Philadelphia—that sounds that just sounds <laughs> right. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania sounds odd. Yeah, I'm just saying. Uh, all right, well, it's uh, July 4th actually, as we record. So, yay, America! Um, Hooray, America! Hooray, <laughs> America! Yeah, America. And, <laughs> And yet we're not talking about America today. We're talking about um, Le France. Uh, actually, the Tour Tour de France. France. Tour de France. Yes, the Tour de France is the proper pronunciation. Tour, 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 <laughs> de, France. tour de France. You really want to put the emphasis on the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. In Excelsius de France. Um, so, okay, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I've been watching the Tour de France this year like I do and even though in the last few years I've gotten uh, you know I'd say more focused on on what I'm doing on weekends at the expense of watching professional races uh, to some extent I still watch the Tour de France pretty religiously during the month of July I don't know I don't know what do you guys do I yeah, followed it. I follow it. Oh crap! We talked over each other. You go we first. <laughs> <laughs> I I follow it pretty religiously, I guess. In the in the month of July, and kind of have been doing so for many a year. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I don't. I you know I like to try and set aside some time to watch some of the good stages. Um, and I definitely you know look. I I got I got no call to be sitting around and watching the whole sprint stage. I. We can get to that, but you know, like yeah. stage three of this year's tour was a real snooze fest, not just for the fans, but for the riders too, apparently. But you know, like yeah, so I watch the end, and, and there are, I I tend to you know focus on like some stages, some key stages, which fortunately often line up with weekends. Thank you, ASO, um, that I'll plan to sit down and watch like a good chunk of. But the the following it is part of part of the excitement, you know. It it would be. It would be neat to have the kind of life where one could uh, watch much of the tour, but it's not really in the cards for me. Well, geez, Francis, do you have the kind of workplace where there's a big TV up and a big office and just a tour de France going all the time or something? <laughs> no. I mean, maybe I could, uh, you know, rally for that, but uh, no, not at the moment. But, I mean, I do work in a bicycle-centered office place, so maybe that's something I could make happen. Yeah, I, I'm sort of surprised that's not a thing, actually. But, uh, I, you know, 
I guess I guess that money has still has to be made <laughs> when you money does does have to be made. So so why? Um, but but you guys do follow it closely, and I will I, I say, Maddie, you like the way you watch the tour is kind of more how I follow the other grand tours, like mm-hmm. the Giro, where you know eh, I'm probably not going to watch most of the stages, or or at least not all of them, um, because you know who's got time for that. But I, I don't know, um, at least with the current work situation um, I have, it works that I can actually kind of do that and, and follow the tour. And it is made easier because, you know, every year I go and I, I get the silly NBC app and I pay the, the, gosh, it's up to like, it's like $30 or something now um, for a subscription. But it's still like, okay, <laughs> or 20 or something like that. But I'm I'm just kind of like all right I'll I'll do it fine um, because uh, I don't know it's still it's easy to be all hipstery and be like oh well the Giro is way cooler <laughs> um, or the you know that it's is way crazier but and you know because think... the Tour de France is so well I just want to say like the Tour yeah. de France is so corporate right <laughs> it's <laughs> not very punk rock and yet here we are but you know I like the fact that there are three Grand Tours because they each kind of have their own flair and. Definitely by the time the Vuelta rolls around, like, I'm a little bit grand toured out. Um, yeah. But you watch him for... <laughs> We're just going to have to edit out that shrieking siren that just drove by. <laughs> oh, no, 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 that's... Sorry um, about that. That's part of the ambiance. Yep, let's go right in there. <laughs> All right, yeah. oh, no editing. Live to tape. We're recording this live. Yeah, you know, the Grand Tours have their, have their different vibes, and sometimes the Giro can seem like really like savage and chaotic and sometimes the Vuelta can kind of seem like the you know the the consolation prize for people who had bad grand tours or for you know young riders trying to get grand tour experience but the tour is is you know has this such like central and iconic role that you know yeah it's it's corporate and like yeah it's big and you know the bike companies are debuting you know new this is and new that's and we're supposed to care and read all the articles in the like and I use scare quotes for like news sources talking about products <laughs> And like that, that is exciting. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting and it's part of the entertainment, but also, you know, so many of these riders just like build their season around this. And like, you know, right now we've got, we're in, we're in the sprint stages of the Tour de France and we've got like Cavendish and Greipel and Kristoff and Kittel and Sagan and Cocard. You know, they're just like so many talented people butting heads that it's just, it's exciting, you know, and, and whatever happens over the next three weeks can, you know, solidify someone's shaky reputation or really make somebody or break somebody. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely the best bang for the buck in terms of um, sponsorship, you know, because everybody, everybody comes out to watch the tour. You know, people who aren't interested in bike racing sometimes even watch the tour. So, you know, in terms of uh, getting your money's worth as a sponsor, you know, that's where you want the big names to be, so... You know, it yeah. makes sense. So, and like, yeah, it, it, all actually, turns out to watch it. Like, all of, you know, you, you, you watch these, like, really beautiful stages where these climbs are just covered with campers and people shrieking. You know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It's, it's like a bigger sporting event than the Super Bowl. Yep. Well, By far. I mean, you know, the Super Bowl is only one day. Well, on that note, I was, I, you know, what occurred to me as you guys are, are talking about this is, you know, sometimes, and I've been known to be one of these people, uh, some some cycling fans have bemoaned the kind of out of, 
the way the tour so unbalances everything else that everything is so focused around it it seems like um at times and and that can be frustrating but you know then there's the question right of um you know do you complain that uh do if, if you're a football fan like does it bother you that like the super bowl is you know way outsized you know compared to the rest of, of everything else no <laughs> like that's the that's that's where the sport gets global exposure and you know we've got it better in a lot of ways in a lot of countries for a lot of sports you know the global exposure is the olympics once every four years you know and and so it seems like an annual sporting event uh that like everyone has heard of that everyone watches or at least you know has has seen some footage of might be <laughs> better than that because the alternative the alternative it seems like is essentially nothing like you're going to have something that's like way outsized that everyone's heard of or, or you're just going to have no exposure outside of like the weirdos i do think that there's a, a drawback to the fact that like grand tours are kind of confusing you know i mean you can tune in a little bit and be like Oh, this guy Mark Cavendish here is winning a bunch of races. What do you mean he's not going to win the overall? Right? Like, if you don't, mm -hmm. it, it can be hard to figure out the fact that, and, and the way I, I explain this to people I don't know is that, like, it's this festival of bike racing with all of these sub competitions. And obviously, like, there is this one, like, big kahuna, like, catching the golden snitch, winning the general classification. But, like, throughout, you've got people going for the individual, you know, the individual stages and the individual competitions, all the sub-competitions. That can be hard to hard to grok because I think that, you know, a lot of, like, announcers and media sort of cover it for people who already know about it. Um, and I don't know, I, you know, as much as the tour does provide, like, a global reach, it, uh, I, don't, I don't think that, like, Cycling fans always always do uh, a great job of turning more people into cycling fans. It's a it's a pretty esoteric and complicated event. So it is yes yes. So, so so how do you guys get caught up in the hubbub of this weird and esoteric thing? Like, given that it is this kind of strange and complicated thing, where you can have these confusing outcomes, like. Yeah, yeah, lots of stages won by someone who then doesn't come anywhere close to winning the whole thing. Like, what, what is it that sucks you in about it year after year? Uh, probably it's 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 funny because like as a kid, I would watch the tour on like oh god, what was it like OLN? What network yeah, was it on? Outdoor Life Network. <laughs> yeah, Outdoor Life Network, and you know because it's like my parents had cable and we had you know, or we had DirecTV, whatever it was, and we had OLN, and so it was a um, habit in my household during a tour for us all to sit down and, like, watch the day's stage when they ran it, you know, in the evening block until, like, 11 p.m. and, like, stay up late and see who wins the stage. And, like, to follow, like, the whole thing along um, through the entire tour. And, you know, obviously that's really hard to do because not everybody has four hours a day to watch the tour. <laughs> um, but like doing it that way is like kind of cool because you get to really get wrapped up in the individual struggles of the riders and, you know, the, um, 
guy who's got the yellow jersey for like you know three days and tries to hold on to it for as long as he can going into the mountains and all kind of the little intricate uh, battles that take place that you miss when you only watch a couple stages or you only watch highlights because um, there's so much more going on at the tour than you know you can catch when you're watching highlights. Um, but you know, unfortunately, in my adult life, it's very difficult to watch every single stage every single day. Um, so I do end up watching highlights or I try to like watch a full stage or at least the end of like, you know, the decisive climbs and try to watch the heavy hitters do that and watch the sprinters. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely tough to be like, Oh, you should watch a stage and check out the tour de France. And some people will be like, all right. So just like a bunch of guys riding around until the end where they go really hard. And then and you tell your friend, like, yeah, yeah, this part's supposed to be boring, but in 90 minutes, it's going to be really exciting for four minutes. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Sure. And, and you, you, Matteo. You know, there are just some competitions that, like, I, I do not and have never paid attention to. Like, I've never, as much as I, I like, you know, arguing and bandying about predictions and this and that, like, I've never said, like, oh, so-and-so is a lock for the King of the Mountains competition, because that's just, like, a crapshoot every year. Or, like, the Young Rider jerseys, you know, it's interesting and it's neat, but eh, sometimes it's just not really relevant to to anything that's going on. Sure. Um, well, yeah. you know, the jersey competitions don't necessarily capture the stories that um, we're most interested in. Uh, they can. Uh, but, I mean, for me, that's what it's about is the stories, the drama, right? It's it's a three-week-long, like, basically soap opera on bikes. And you get, and you get to speculate so much about what's going to happen, you know? Like, okay, like, so-and-so has got you know, a minute and there are this many opportunities to lose that or solidify it. This other person, you know, needs to attack in the Alps. Like that's what has to happen if they're serious about winning. Like, is it going to happen? And, you know, I I know that some people are frustrated with grand tours for, you know, these sort of long slog fests that are just about survival and don't offer more chaotic freewheeling tactical situations. Um, but part of the fun is speculating, even if the most exciting uh, outcome or process doesn't play out. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, there's all there's all these opportunities. There's you know there's the climbs uh, are the obvious ones and the time trials. Um, but you know it's such a it, it's such a great opportunity for cycling nerds to um, really get their nerd on, right? Because you know, anytime there's a stage that's near the ocean, people get all hot and bothered talking about crosswinds and is someone going to get caught out? Uh, you know, and, and as in recent years, people have, you know, sometimes early on in, in losing, you know, minutes uh, before they've even, you know, reached the first first tiny climb. Um, so there's, there's, it, and it's, it's fun because a race like this, you know, yes, it's confusing, um, but it also kind of lends itself to imagining these really complicated, you know, games of uh, four-dimensional chess that we suppose, you know, these directors, sports chiefs are playing. And, you know, in in reality, it's probably uh, a little more simple than that a lot of the time. Um, But, you know, then you also get to see sometimes the people at the tour get caught up in you know, the chess match 
uh, and and think that yes, I'm going to move my pawn here, and I'm going to castle my king, <laughs> and I'm going to <laughs> jump my knight over to O, and the knight bonked, and he just lost five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> or the knight yeah. actually tried to jump over someone and ended up uh, off a, a guardrail. Yes, <laughs> going flying over a guardrail. Yeah, and there's gotta... e- there's even so much that like we can't get, you know. I mean, sometimes you're in a mountain stage and you see, you know, one team is setting the pace, and you're like, all right, why? Like they're kind of B level. They've got a guy who's like at the edges of the top ten. Like, why is this team setting the pace? Why are they chasing the breakaway? And maybe it's because they made an alliance with another team. Maybe it's because they just really think that they want to like try and get their guy into a good spot, even though it's not really part of like the bigger story that's going on. Or maybe they're making a bad tactical decision. Like we we don't know. There's for all of the like possible plot lines and storylines and speculation. Like there are also so many ones that we just we don't can't really know about. Oh, and, and multiply that by oh I don't know like a thousand right because one of the, this is going to be a little pomo maybe but one of the things I've been what bring it <laughs> yeah but just yeah this is one of the things I've, I've thought about. I don't know, the last uh, couple years of thinking about the tour is, you know, you've got 189 riders starting the tour. You've got like a dozen support staff per team. You know, you've got all just all this stuff going on between the cars and the riders and, and the people on the motorbikes and, and all that. And there's just, we're only going to know like the tiniest, teensiest fraction of what's going on. Uh, what what stories are being played out in you know the Tour de France peloton and you know at any given day you can look at the helicopter shot of this you know peloton of almost 200 riders and just be like I wonder you know I wonder what's happening in there that I will never know about uh, and just I don't know there's so much opportunity for you know projection both onto the major moments of the race and just you know, onto any tiny little thing. I think that's kind of... in the tour just magnifies that, right? Like, that's kind of true of any race, but... in any grand tour, but the Tour de France, it seems, is like this heightened level, just because everyone is so amped. You know? I don't know. Like I said, a little bit... a little silly, maybe. No, I mean, I think I think that's part of it is is how amped everybody is. Like that that just heightens and salts every story, you know. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, you know what I'm pretty amped about. What is it? What are you amped about? T- tires, I guys. I want to talk to you about tires. Is it tires? Yeah. Is there is there anything more important more important than good tires? I think that's a good question. There might if if there are, it's not a lot of things, right? So we're brought to you here. Um, our special Tour de France episode brought to you by Michelin Bicycle USA. Um, want to tell you a little bit, a little bit about uh, kind of what they're working on right now. They've got a new line of tires, the Power line, four different models uh, covering the whole spectrum of road riding. So high mileage training with the the Power Endurance model, uh, or all out racing with the Power Competition. And, uh, yeah, a couple more of the all-season. And what they really want you to know about, brand new, out pretty recently, the Power Protection Plus, which is the best protection you're going to get in a tire that is also pretty good. Pretty pretty roll fast and 
pretty grippy and it's going to do good things for you. Ideal for any road surface. You know, the tire companies are always trying to figure out a way to make a tire that's really durable and has great puncture resistance while still, you know, rolling fast and smooth and being really grippy in corners and in the wets. And, and Michelin is saying that their, their power protection plus, uh, kind of hits that, hits that, uh, intersection in that three way Venn diagram. Yeah. Well, I just, I just want to tell you guys a quick little story actually about, about tires and about, you know, Michelin tires specifically. Um, this is from a few years ago. I had just decided I was going to race bikes and uh, I was trying to get my... Francis will remember this bike. I, I had this old 80s road bike that I cobbled together. Okay. Yep, I remember that bike. Yep, yep. And I had, like, moved the down tube shifters up to, like, the handlebars by the brake levers. And I built myself um, some wheels. I built them quite badly. <laughs> it wasn't so good. <laughs> but on those wheels... So I had been riding, uh, you know, certain from certain unnamed manufacturer uh some pretty cheap tires uh and i thought eh, you know tires a tire right right um well not really because i was like well i'm gonna i'm gonna get something slightly nicer since i'm gonna be doing some some racing presumably on this bike and i went and i picked up some michelin tires um and put them on there and i went out and i learned a tire is not just a tire uh and a lot of work goes into it and there's a lot of components, and really, not a whole lot of other things are going to do as much for your experience of riding your bicycle as a good tire will, right? It's going to ride better, it's going to grip better, it's going to go faster, and like you're going to feel that difference. And I felt that difference, and I said, wow, <laughs> they really are doing something pretty impressive here. Uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, um, really, really like that out out of my Michelin Lithions back back many years ago, uh, and you know these days uh, you can get that with their their power lines. So anyway, you know it, it took me it took me a long time to convince my sweetheart to borrow my carbon tubular race wheels for some important races, and you know because she just she doesn't fuss too much, she's not too interested in gearing out, she just wants to ride hard, ride fast, and race the shit out of her bike. But when she finally did borrow uh, the zips that I had, which um, had have Michelin Pro Race Four tubulars on it, she was just like, "Oh my gosh! Like it was so fast, cording was so smooth. I felt like I could corner so hard and so grippy." And she won the state championship crit on those wheels. So, oh yeah, boom. nice. That's a good story. <laughs> that mm-hmm. is a good story. Well, that's a good point. So thank thank you, Michelin, for uh, getting. Heidi, a state championship win, being part of that story. And also, thank you for supporting uh, Honest Bicycle Program and uh, the Wide Angle Podium Network. Salute. Salute. <laughs> I say that because I'm having a little happy hour beer going on with this recording. Oh, nice. nice. Uh, all right. It is It is 5.01. I I will accept that. That's all right. <laughs> it's 5 o'clock. Actually, no, Francis. It's, it's the 4th of July. So, yeah. There we go. Should have <laughs> Francis, I'm in, I'm disappointed that you are not drunk already. <laughs> I went Shame for a really hard bike ride this morning, and I am drunk on tired. <laughs> you should just be surrounded by like half a dozen uh, empty cans of PBR. Empty cans of PBR and like blown out mountain bike tires. <laughs> Make sure that they're Michelin's. Yes, they will be Michelin's. <laughs> Sponsor correct. Um, 
because we're pro. We're pro. So let's just wrap up, I guess. Uh, we'll, we'll close out um, by talking a little bit about the tour so far and what we've thought about it and kind of where we think it's going to go. And uh, we'll tell you about the Wide Angle Podium Network uh, as we, we close the show. But, um, yeah, so we've had three stages so far. Uh, we've had uh, Strength Stage down to Utah Beach on uh, Saturday and on Sunday we had a hilltop finish. Uh, pretty exciting. And then today another sprint stage. I don't know. Um, so far, so good? So far, so good, yeah. I mean, it was kind of cool that Sagan didn't even know he was winning the stage on stage two. <laughs> so he, he was just kind of like, I don't know. He's like, well, whatever. I'm just going to smash this guy anyway. And then he's like, oh, cool. I won the stage. Uh, I, I like the his comments on it. He's like, oh, well, I have already have a uh, getting yellow uh, after that stage. He was like, oh, well, I already have a very nice jersey. <laughs> and yeah. he's world champion. And he's like, but this one is also nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed the fact that uh, both um, Sagan and Cavendish before him, you know, are, were are two great riders who were wearing the yellow jersey for the first time in their career, and were both like super pumped to do that. Even even though both of them were sort of also trying to blow it off a little bit as maybe not that important, but once you've got that jersey on. Like, oh, oh, I think damn. for Cav it was very important. You know, he after after that he won the first stage and donned the yellow jersey. I mean, he was like, "This is this is the only jersey that matters that I haven't won yet." Because you know he's yeah. a world champion. He's got the green jersey and and or the the points jersey in each of the Grand Tours, and he's been the British champion. And yeah, yeah, yeah. he's had it all. He's he's had it all. Well, the in in the other one is an Olympic medal. I think that uh, that he wants. Yeah. So how about that stage one? That was vintage. Cavendish. Yeah. That was pretty It really great. was. Um, did you guys I, catch I love that? that the, oh, go ahead. You, no, no, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, did you guys catch it? That that was the first time uh, that he's been up against Marcel Kittle and actually won when they've sprinted against each other. Really? I, I did, did not, not make that connection. Wow. 10 to 1. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, so... I'm going to let that marinate for a minute because it's like, you know, Kev has been winning races for a long time. It just surprised me. It surprises me that there is a sprinter who has consistently beaten him. Well, remember Marcel Kittle kind of emerged in the years, you know, as as the big sprint guy in the years after uh, Cavendish's big peak, right? Yeah. Like, like his big... Between, like, 2009 and in 2011 or say in those years he was like unstoppable and he was you know good before that and good after that obviously uh but you know he was completely dominant in those years and marcel kittle didn't really um start dominating until i'd say he was emerging in 2012 and really has dominated since 2013 yeah that's certainly true yeah that um that that stage one finish was definitely vintage Cav, and the thing that I can't help but notice is that there was a pretty strong crosswind, and Sagan really let out the sprint, and Cav went on the sheltered side, and Kittel went on the windy side. Mm. And who knows if that made all the difference, but it certainly helped. It doesn't. Cav is such a pro at like ducking down and tucking himself in, and like popping out right at the the right second. That's like that's like his signature. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he's looked he's actually he's he's looked so good in the sprint finishes so far uh this year just in terms of yeah, positioning himself. I mean, you can sort of see that he's got his head in the game. Uh, I think you could you could maybe wonder if Cav has in in certain recent years has lacked motivation, but this year, you know, he wanted to race the tour and get the yellow jersey. And he wants to go to the Olympics, and he got the Olympic selection. And then there's a flat sprint stage for the World Championships. Like, I think he's, I think he's motivated. Yeah, yeah. Yep, he definitely looks motivated this year. <laughs> it's pretty. It seems like yeah, he's pretty happy on Dimension Data, uh, which is interesting. The trajectory of of that team. I kind of miss the referee outfits, but oh well, they still. Look <laughs> Uh, I think I think I think Dimension Data has finally iterated their team's kits to a point where they look really good, but it's yeah. taken some time to get there. Yes, it, it's it's true. I you know the the thing is the the MTN Quebec kits which they were uh, before were a little strange. You know they were great. I like that referee look, but you know it, it looked a little out of place uh, in the peloton. I mean, it was certainly distinctive, which helps. Like, I, I keep on remembering, I think it was, like, 2009 when there were, like, five teams that were all some variation of, like, red, black, and gray. And it was impossible to see. Oh. This was before, like, HD streaming was, you know, really in full effect. It was just impossible to see what was going on in the Peloton from those overhead shots. There were a lot of poor kit design choices in, like, the mid-2000s. We'll probably leave it at that. <laughs> I mean, there, there's been a lot of poor kit design choices in the history of kits. Tastes change. There's one yep, kit around he here, actually. There's one kit around here that, as far as I can tell, has remained unchanged since, like, the late 90s, and it is terrible. It is... <laughs> got um, that 90s fashion awesomeness? Well, you'll you'll know which one this is, Francis. It's got the... It's Basically, it's, like, blue with flames. Oh, um, yeah, 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 yep. Yep, it's a classic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> classic. <laughs> it's, it's a classic. Yeah, I don't know. They just they're like, well, everyone recognizes it. <laughs> it looks terrible. <laughs> we designed it in Clark Express <laughs> or whatever back in like 1997. Um, well, it's like the problem with local like local racing is that I feel like most of the clubs or teams you're racing against had kit that was designed by someone who was like, I can ask Photoshop, no problem, I will do this. <laughs> and I don't know why they're Russian all of a sudden, but um, but they're like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to design this kit. All those local Russian teams. <laughs> they're like, I'm going to design this kit with my awesome graphic design skills. Well, the version of Photoshop they're using has possibly been hacked by a Russian. Because I went on the Pirate Bay and I got Photoshop, and so here's your kit. I decided I would put boxes all over the shorts and uh, very slimming horizontal stripes over your belly, and <laughs> it's going to be fuchsia and poop brown. There you go. Then there's got to be some weird, like, sort of muscle patterns around the shoulders. Yes, there will be muscle patterns over the shoulders, and... If we do it right, it will look like you are wearing underwear over your spandex. Wow. Note to self, have Francis design kits for my enemies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, uh, um, stage two. Any thoughts on stage two? Uh, other than, I don't know, the obvious, it was it was an exciting finish. Jasper Stuyven. I think, I think that, like, Jasper Stuyven and Julian Alaphilippe are 
you know, it's hard to call them up and comers because they've, they've really already up and came, but I think that those two are going to be just stars. <laughs> Restrain <Sorry>. yourself, Francis. <laughs> I can't contain myself. That's what she said. <laughs> okay. I'm going to, I'm going to mute podcast. myself now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It's so... a perfectly valid analytical point <laughs> about two young writers. Perfectly analytical. That's what she said. Joke. <laughs> All right. Hashtag TWSS. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, very I appreciate tense. that you didn't you didn't restrain yourself on that one, Francis. <laughs> There's no restraint. There's no restraint. All right. Yeah. It is, so Peter Sagan won. It was really cool. Um, he basically sprinted to the front and then slowed down and let Alaphilippe launch the real sprint. And then was like, haha, you thought I was tired, but I was not. Uh, and that was pretty, pretty amusing. And, and Alaphilippe was quite displeased as he, he crossed the line. He was so mad. He <laughs> was so mad. And you can guarantee that there is going to be a petrified Disney style Swanier who's going to have a chamois rubbed in his face, the good <laughs> side of the chamois rubbed in his face while Alaphilippe screams at him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, Alaphilippe really seems to, uh, he, he really beats the bars when he gets second, you know? Uh, yep. Fletcher Lone a couple years running, Liege last year. He gets yeah. close and he gets frustrated. He okay. wants that big W. Yeah, that guy wants to win. That dubs. Dubs. All right, and, and, and today you mentioned, you referred, you referenced boring stages when we started, Matteo. You know, I... I woke up and I made myself a cup of coffee and I turned the stage on and it was, there's a hundred K to go. <laughs> One guy was off the front with five minutes and he was already bored. He was just like chucking bottles to fans and like absolutely dithering around. And so I didn't watch it for too long. My understanding is that like the Peloton was going like 20 miles an hour. Yeah. The average speed they, for a while were was just 33 like, kilometers per hour. Just they were totally like F it. We're, we don't really feel like doing this one. <laughs> That's kind of a funny concept to to think about. Just like the entire, all these pro riders just being like, nope, nope. Today we will self pedal. Yeah, they're like, yeah. Some some French guy really wants to go out there and be alone for five hours. That's cool. <laughs> Six we'll hours, however long. We'll it was. stay here. <laughs> God, one guy, you. you as soon as he realized that the peloton was sitting up behind him, you know, 10K into the stage or whatever, you know he was just like, oh, <laughs> god damn it. Well, yep. eventually eventually, Tommy Vokler came up to join him. <laughs> yeah, but that was like 120 kilometers later. <laughs> yeah. It was a long day. I gotta say, I see that and I just think, oh man, because I find I am not one of those people who finds just going out and doing a solo, like, four-hour ride to be fun. Mm-hmm. I, I get bored pretty I quickly. also get bored. This is why I have headphones. Yeah, yeah. It despite, makes sense. Despite how dangerous they may be, uh, well, I don't want to kill myself from okay. boredom. But... <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, you can die from being hit by a car or you can die from boredom. You know, pick your poison. <laughs> but, you know, it's a struggle. And having done even... You know, the longest road race I've ever done was, um, like, a, li- a little a hair under three hours. Um, and that's actually, 
I think an underappreciated by fans aspect of what's hard about doing something like the Tour de France and just pro bike racing in general is having to be focused on what's going on for that long. It's a long hours. time. Yeah. 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 Because three, you know, three hours is short for a pro bike race. It's like they're almost never that short, you know? And I was like, oh man, in, in this race I did, like, there's just, you kind of want to just shut down and not pay attention after a while. And often in those super long road races, what's actually going on is you're waiting for the decisive climb. You're waiting for the decisive, or you're waiting for a sprint line, or you're waiting for a, a QOM or whatever. And so you're kind of just diddling, or, or you know, you're not going slow necessarily, but it's just kind of like, all right, I'm in the pack until we hit the climb. Yep. Nothing is going to happen until we hit the climb. The climb is an hour away. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, we had video of, like, Tom Dumoulin yawning and, and whatnot. That was yep. that was fun. Yep. So so in yeah, but in the end, it got exciting. The the last kilometer was was pretty good. Uh, that was you know a photo finish sprint, uh, which was pretty tremendous. And you know Cav Cavendish beating Greipel by millimeters, which was pretty crazy. But then both mm-hmm. thinking they'd won. Um, that was that was enjoyable. Uh, so basically, sprint stages. You know, tune in for the last 5K and you'll probably be fine. That's a good rule of thumb. So the other yep. thing about this tour is that it's it's like such a it's it's a very climby tour. I mean, the tour always has a lot of climbing, but you usually associate the Giro and the Vuelta with throwing the truly crazy stuff at the riders because you know these are the little brothers of the Grand Tour and uh, of the Grand Tours, and they're always trying to be like a little bit crazy or a little bit more extreme. Right, but uh, but this tour just has like lots of climbing. It starts early, and there aren't a lot of mountaintop finishes. So there are a lot of like huge climbs followed by short little descents to the finish line. Yeah, yeah, sort of an odd, sort of an odd um, combination. That like you know, with the Vuelta, they'd just be like, yeah, finish it on a mountain, you know, and you'd have like ten mountaintop finishes. <laughs> uh, but in the tour, I don't know. They don't like doing lots of mountaintop finishes in the tour. Like four is actually a lot. You know, that's. I mean, it's not like a ton, but it, you know, it's fairly typical for a, a hilltop finish heavy race in the tour. So I wonder how much you know. of that is logistical. Uh, I think that that does play a role because the Tour de France like finishing village and setup and everything is just so huge compared to the other races. Right, and getting that up to the top of a mountain, and then you have to get the riders down, you have to get the cars down, and there's a million fans all over the place, and disassembly, and lots of crazy stuff happening. I'm sure it's like, and I'm sure the towns love it when the tour finishes inside of them. Yes. Uh, uh, Anybody? No, I'm I'm trying to... to (laughs) They're trying to move right, swiftly right. we'll, on we'll, from that. We'll be, we'll be professional. Um, <laughs> so yeah, late. I mean, like, I'm sure it's a huge boost for those little towns to be like, oh wow, we're gonna have a finish of the Tour de France. Cool. Whereas a mountain is like, I'm a mountain. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, so on the on that note, I don't know, but we we should probably wrap on our our tour talk. Do you guys have any? Uh, is there an argument going on in someone's yard? <laughs> yeah, there is. Uh, you guys keep talking. I'm I'm gonna. <laughs> Okay. 
Uh, anyway, I'm uh, just uh, kind of wondering what you guys are thinking about uh, who might who might win this one. Uh, my money's on Froome, I think. Hmm. Hmm. Just a safe bet, basically. Yeah, safe bet. Um, you know, that's probably the way it's gonna go, I feel like. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That That's that's just my feeling. That That's my gut. But how do you, how does that make you feel, Francis? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Doesn't really make me feel anything. I just think Chris <laughs> Froome will win. <laughs> I feel empty inside. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Froome will win the tour. He's sort of a... He, I have nothing particularly against Chris Froome, but he is... Oh, yeah, me, me neither. It's But, I mean, like, I it would be great if an underdog, like, it would be awesome to see, like, Nairo Quintana be able to, like, jump up there and do something, but, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I mean, not that Nairo Quintana is an underdog, exactly, but... No, but, no, but, you know... Yeah, Chris Froome is very much like your... Superior form, sure. it's going to be tough to beat Chris Froome. Yeah, um... Yeah, yeah, Chris Room is kind of like your, I don't know, beans-on-toast British colonial, uh, I don't know, nice young man sort of, sort of guy. He, he just, I don't, I just don't think he excites people very much. But, you know, he, and he, oh god, does he look terrible on a bike. But, he looks like a skeleton! <laughs> well, yes, and he pedals like a drunk skeleton. His elbows yep. are so far down on his arms. Did you guys his ever... His elbows are so close to his hands. Actually, you know, that reminds me of something. I, I had this, uh, it was like this young adult um, book, like science fiction detective story that I read as a kid called The Ear, the Eye, and the Arm. Does that ring a bell for you guys? No. Sounds familiar, but I definitely did not read it as a child. Uh, well, anyway, I mean, basically the main characters are called The Ear, the Eye, and the Arm, and they're detectives, and they're like kind of mutanty a little bit. Like they're they're humans. Like they're not like weird, but they're a little bit weird looking. Like one of them has really big ears, and one of them has really long, gangly arms, um, and one is like really big, very good eyes or something like that. And it just made me think of the one. You know, I mean, obviously one of them has really gangly arms, and Chris Broom makes me think of that. Essentially, uh, so yeah, I, I think you know Chris Broom could win. I'd love to, I'd love to see Quintana win. That would be awesome. because um, I don't know. I like that I like that tiny little Colombian dude. And it is a pretty heavy tour. I'm think. on Team Quintana hardcore. <laughs> I would love to see him win. It would be awesome. It would be such a show. Well it is you know, third week is, is very hilly and if he manages to not uh pull a contador in the first week and like crash and, you and know, smash himself into the ground. Yeah, man. Oof, Contador. Boy. Um, tough start for him. Uh, I, I really, I'll, I'll say, I've said it before, I don't know if I've said it before, but I've, I've thought for a while that I don't think Contador is going to win the Tour de France again. Uh, I haven't thought no, he's going to I, I No, I think his career is kind of, I think he's done in the respect of the stuff he was doing when he was riding with Lance. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he seems to be not as strong as he used to be. Yes. Yeah, he's not. He he's is not, not eating, eating as enough much... steak. Exactly. He's not eating. <laughs> he is as much not steak. eating as much steak. So, all right. Um, any any closing thoughts? No? Mm-hmm. no. Watch the tour on. What what are, what are ways that people can watch the tour? I think cycling oh, fans is my go-to. 
Um, yeah. There's steephill.tv. Uh, Greg, you said you used the NBC app. Yeah, it's like they've switched it to this NBC Gold, NBC Sports Gold Plus or whatever. I don't know, but there is, you know, you can stream it from the web or on a tablet or phone app, basically. And that's what I've been doing for the last few years. Uh, you have to you have to put up with uh, Phil and Paul, but whatever. I can Good old Phil and Paul. Good old. Good old. The emphasis Phil and on Paul. old. Yep. <laughs> That's. <laughs> we are, yeah, I'm, it's so professional. So professional. Uh, all right. Uh, you've been listening to the Honest Bicycle Program. Uh, this has been our Tour de France edition. Uh, we're going to do another one of these probably in a couple weeks when we're sort of staring down the barrel the third week and kind of. Um, I don't know, just see how it's gone at that point and, and what we're thinking about it. Uh, until then, um, we're coming to you on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Head on over, wideanglepodium.com. Is it .com? I actually, wow, I'm the worst, worst <laughs> Wide Angle Podium host ever. I'm like doubting myself for some reason, but it is Wide Angle Just Google search Wide Angle Podium. Well, it Network. is wideanglepodium.com. I'm just dithering. On the Google. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just, look, you can donate... Um, to this show, to other shows in the network, you know, become a member, support what we're doing. Um, you know, you're always going to get um, the shows for free, obviously. Uh, but hey, you know, um, your support it matters. It makes us feel special and loved and wanted. Uh, and who wouldn't want that? You can also support the other fine shows there, like, uh, of course, the Slow Ride podcast, Crosshairs Radio, which had a great interview with uh, Ellen Noble. Um, just the other day, uh, Meyerson line, things like that. So, uh, until then. Don't forget, also, we are brought to you today by Michelin Bicycle. That's right. Go to your local bike shop, ask for Michelin tires and tubes. You will not be disappointed. In fact, you will be delighted beyond all, just all reason. Specifically, the power line. Yes. Power Protection Plus. Get it. Don't I, get flat. I feel the, I feel the need to point out that Michelin asked us to point out that like they think that you should stop into your local bike shop and ask about Michelin. You know, like they're awesome. they, they yeah, they like specifically in in what what they you know what they want you to know about them is like, yeah, they want to work with this model where you you know, a local bike shop helps you out and you help them out and that's how this all works. I think that's great. Yeah. I do too. Yeah, go go support Michelin, sure, but most particular, you know, support your local shop. Go there. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, you can keep in touch with us on Twitter, of course, at Honest Bicycle, or um, with us individually. Uh, you can find us, uh, Grolly, Francis Tastic, uh, underscore Matteo. Um, tell us if you think we're crazy or stupid or geniuses. Um, <laughs> we're really pretty open to hearing all of that. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes, and thank you for tuning in. So long. Farewell. Farewell. <laughs>